Previously, on Snicktoons, I was joined yet again by my good buddy Brett Scott because last week's episode of X-Men the Animated Series was another episode featuring the first appearance of a Wolverine villain, and that is Brett's signature style episode. So Brett came back and we uh, broke down X-Men the Animated Series Season 4 Episode 15, The Lotus and the Steel. Of course, before we got to our episode breakdown, we compared a top five of X-Men characters that we'd like to see live action that we haven't seen live action yet. And then after our episode breakdown, man, did we go down a rabbit hole of just different pop culture things that we, uh, you know, that we both have in common or things that we like that we recommend to each other. And uh, Brett, if you're listening, and I think you already know since we've talked about it, but I finally finished all six of the Mission Impossible movies, uh, and it was awesome. They they were so good. So thank you so much for recommending those. And Bub, if you're listening and you haven't listened to last week's episode with Brett, make sure you go back and check that one out. And of course, stay tuned as myself and returning special guest provide live commentary for X-Men the Animated Series, Season 4, Episode 16, Weapon X, Lies, and Videotape. All right, Bub, as you heard at the top of the show, I am back with a returning special guest, one of my favorite of my uh, rotation here of, of, of special guests. Um, I'm welcoming back Mr. Kurt Schmidt. Kurt, welcome back to Snick Tunes, my friend. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's been a while since uh, since we've sat down and recorded, uh, at least for a Snick Tunes episode. I can't remember... I think the last time you were on was for the Sanctuary two-parter at the very beginning of this season. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, uh, yeah, it seemed like it, it wasn't that long ago, but as I was going through the episodes to get to this one, it was like, holy cow, that was, yeah, there's been a bunch in between this and that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to have you back because the the episode that we're going to cover today is is one of my favorite episodes of the entire series uh, a really great adaptation of one of my favorite Wolverine story arcs. Uh, but as I was going through this episode, I kind of had this idea uh, of of where we can go with our, our first part discussion. Because usually, you know, we will throw together a, a top five. Uh, and I was racking my brain and I couldn't really come up with like a great concept uh, for a top five that kind of ties into this episode, except for one that we'd already done. Um, we had done a top five way back when of like our favorite Wolverine knockoffs. Um, and I think that, uh, the discussion that we'll end up having is going to have a lot of crossover with yeah. that top five. Uh, so that's, that's really the only thing that I, I could think of is, uh, just kind of developing that a little bit further and going into a little bit further detail of, uh, some of those characters and their backgrounds and, and how they tie into Wolverine. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask you, as I as I do with the with all of my returning guest hosts, is have you been up to any X Men stuff lately? Not no, not much X Men stuff. 
Not, uh, yeah, not really any X-Men stuff at all. It's kind of <laughs> been uh, an off period for me. I was, uh, I've been reading some, uh, some comics. I've been a little bit all over with that, but, uh, but nothing really X-related for a little while now. Yeah. Yeah. There's not really a whole lot going on. Um, you know, we're all anticipating some more information coming out for, um, X-Men 97. Uh, there's all those Lego leaks that came out, um, you know, a, a few weeks back that, uh, yes. oh, that, that reminds me though. You did see the, uh, the Wolverine buildable figure has been leaked so we can actually see what it looks like. D- have you checked that out yet? Yeah. Yeah. I checked that out. I thought that looked, uh, I think that looks cool. I saw that on the on the Discord actually. Um, oh yeah, yeah, and I think that looks. I like the, I especially like the boots on it. I thought that was uh, pretty good. Yeah, there's some some really great design elements to it. Um, the only thing that I, I can think of that seems a little weird is like the head, the shape of the headpiece. Um, but I was at I was at the store. I think a couple of days ago, I was picking up just like some last minute groceries one night. And I was like, yeah, I might as well stroll down the Lego aisle because, you know, it's just it's what I do. And they had the they had the Venom, the Spider-Man and the Miles Morales Spider-Man buildable figures on the shelf. So I was able to, like, get an in-person look at these boxes and everything. And, yeah, it's the same shape of the headpiece and and it looks fine. So I think um, I don't know, maybe the the picture that leaked kind of had like a, a weird angle or something. And was like turning me off, but seeing the boxes in person and and taking a look at them, it's like, all right, this actually looks this actually looks really good. So uh, we'll see how it works with Wolverine. But yeah, I think the design is is really good, really strong design. Yeah, we've got. I know my son's got the the Spider Man and maybe Morale, uh, Miles. I think he got both of those for Christmas, but he hasn't uh, he hasn't built those yet. He well, he really wants the um that ghost rider figure and i i like that one a lot too that one looks pretty good oh yeah with the yeah with the bike the, uh, yeah it's like the ghost rider mech but then they built his actual motorcycle too for the mech to sit in which is really cool yeah yeah that one looks good uh but yeah so the, they, the buildable figures look pretty cool i the one thing i i know uh we talked about a little bit on the discord was the uh was the fact that they had they had the banner in the corner that said uh, the X Men is X Men ninety seven right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was see. I was I was curious about what the like the name of the line was going to be because they they do all the mechs um, you know ten fifteen dollar mechs every year, uh, which you get like one minifigure and a small little set that you build and, and you know the minifigure sits in there. And it's not like anything special. It's just a fun, quick build, and, and you get a cool minifig for it. Um, but that one had a line tag of Wolverine, which makes sense because it was a Wolverine figure. Uh, but I was wondering what we were going to see with the the buildable figure and, like, the buildable mask that we're supposed to get later on this year as well. Uh, and the fact that we're getting three collectible minifigures specifically from X-Men 97 – I'm thinking if they're throwing X-Men 97 as the the tagline for the line, that that means that we're going to get like a much larger fleshed out line based on X-Men 97. And that, I think, is what has me the most excited 
because if we're going to get, you know, a 13 episode cartoon series, there's a lot that they can do. You know, that Mr. Sinister is supposed to be one of the big villains in that. So we could be seeing like a Lego set based on the cartoon that has like a Mr. Sinister lab. Like that would be such an awesome Lego set to get. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really excited about all the possibilities here. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot that they could do with it. And there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different ways that the Lego sets can go. So yeah, it's a, that's a, that's exciting to see. Uh, here's a, here we are, a couple of uh, middle-aged uh, men being excited about the Legos, the, uh, the potential <laughs> of Lego releases. I love it. <laughs> yeah, based on a cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, oh my God, I. It's a good thing my wife doesn't listen to this stuff. <laughs> she she said a uh, little little tangent. What what would one of our conversations be without a tangent, right? Right. <laughs> uh, yes. So so yesterday I went. Um, I was at a comic convention, the Indiana uh, Indiana Comic Con, and uh, Jeanette, my wife, calls and calls. I'm at maybe midday and says, "Oh, did you get the did you get your sketch?" Uh, I usually I usually commission like a, I try to commission a sketch at every con in a, in a book I collect, and I said I said yeah yeah I got one and she's uh, or he's working on it now and she's like oh cool what'd you get and I said Cerebus and there was like a pause and I'm like he's he's an aardvark and like <laughs> huh <laughs> I'm like oh uh yeah well he's a warrior aardvark and then, uh. uh and he drinks beer, and I think like I think he's gonna draw him at a bar or something. And, and there's like a long pause, and she's like, "I, I how am I even married to you?" <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, every 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 sentence I, I say, I'm just like, "Oh, this is not helping. This is like I sound like dorkier and geekier with every word I'm saying." And it's like only, only like, only here, standing in the aisle, like next to, like, I don't know, cross-dressing cosplayers. It, do I like? Do I fit in and sound halfway normal right now? <laughs> oh man, oh. yeah, it's it's the same. I I, uh, I had picked up an issue of of Usagi Ojimbo. Uh, oh, last cool. year, not not in person. Um, Stan Sakai's like web store was doing um, like a con adjacent. It was like Comic Con at home, I think. Yeah. Um, okay. Because it was a couple years back, and and one of the things that you can get is you can like it was like the newest issue of Usagi Ojimbo was like number seventeen of the IDW volume, and the cover was based on um, like a Frank Frazetta cover of like this werewolf attack where the hero's, like, in the foreground, and he's kind of stumbling and, like, looking back over his shoulder, and, like, there's, like, a rock overcropping, and there's, like, a werewolf on the cover. It was, like, this... I forget what cover it was, but it was Frank Frazetta that did the original piece. And so Stan Sakai had done a, a piece that was, you know, reminiscent of that. It was based on that. And it even says on the cover, like, Stan Sakai after Frazetta, you know, because it was yeah. pretty much the same same thing. Because in this case, uh, Usagi was going up against these, um, like, mountain goblins that take on the form of, like, giant snarling wolf things. 
Um, so that's where he that's where he got the idea from. And uh, if if you get you know you buy the issue for like twenty bucks and you get an autograph, but you can throw in like ten more dollars or whatever and have it remarked instead. Um, oh, oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So I picked that up and had you know I did the the one to get it remarked by Stan Sakai. So on the cover he 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 autographed it, but then he also drew like a little you know two minute sketch of of Usagi on the cover as well. And I remember I was getting it. I'm like, Oh, I love this because it's based on this, this cover by like this famous painter guy that like did all these painting covers for like horror comics. And it was really cool. And like, look, he even drew the, he even drew Usagi on here. And she's like, who, who's Usagi? I'm like, Oh yeah, he's this rabbit. Who's a samurai. And she's like, uh, huh, uh, huh. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's the, it's the comic. It takes place in in feudal Japan, but all the characters are animals. It's really cool. She's like animals. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. This is what my yeah. grown husband yeah. likes to do with his spare time: is read comics about animals. All right. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I I like how you said. Uh, yeah, it's really cool because I've I've said that. <laughs> like I I went with a, a friend to the con, and I'm like, yeah, he's cool, and it's like no. He's not cool. This isn't. You're not cool. Like no, no, no. There's nothing cool here. I'm like whatever. Shut up. It is. <laughs> it's like what would be cool is if you were wearing a blazer and you were at a gentleman's club and you had a whiskey and a cigar. That's cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Going to a comic con yeah. is not cool. <laughs> no, no, nothing cool about that. But. <laughs> that's, that's all right. I'm fine with it. Yeah, man. Cerebus is one of those comics where it's like I wish I'd like I don't know what's going on. Um, like maybe is it? It was Dave Sim, right? That yeah. was the corrector. Yeah. yeah. It's like, does he not have the rights to his own stuff? Like, can he not? Like, how is this not collected like digitally yet? Like the full run. Like, I feel like we should be able to jump into Comixology and it'll have, like, the complete Cerebus in, like, three digital omnibuses. You know, like, how do we not have that available to us? Yeah, I don't know, man. I He does have, I think, so the, the I got the, the sketch of, uh, of Cerebus because it was his, like, the, his partner, the background artist, uh, Gerhard, was there. Um, but I, I, after looking, looking them up and seeing like what kind of stuff he would do prior to the show, I ended up reading an article or two that said that Dave Sim like bought back all the rights. Cause I think they split the rights. I think Sim split it with Gerhard like halfway through. Um, so he had like 60, 40, but it's looked like he bought it back from Gerhard and he's had a few Kickstarters for stuff. He's put together like his own. Uh, artist edition things on Kickstarter, oh. and but I don't know why he hasn't done. I've thought the same thing. Like, why hasn't he done like a big collection or anything? And I know, like, when I was younger, you used to see like those, those, uh, uh, like the phone books they would call them. You used to see those phone books everywhere, and now you don't see them. Like, I don't see them ever. They're yeah, they're not that hard, easy to come by like they used to be. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what the deal is. Maybe it's just uh, out of sight, out of mind. Like, there's not – he's he's put out 
I know he's put out a, a couple uh, a couple things in the, the past few years, but like I don't know, maybe he's just uh, old and and doesn't know how to use the the technology to its fullest or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It yeah. could be. Yeah, it's too yeah, bad. It's because it's one that I've I've never been able to read like a large chunk of it. Like I've read a few things here and there, especially with like various crossovers and all that, you know, things were in the, in the late eighties, early nineties in the indie scene is like people just, they crossed their stuff over all the time just for the heck of it. Yeah. Um, and I've stumbled upon a few, um, like Ninja Turtles issues where they teamed up with Cerebus. There's other stuff that I'd read, um, that were, that were like crossovers with other indie things at the time. But like, as far as like Cerebus, the proper series, I really only read like maybe five issues, like not a lot at all. Um, And it's definitely one that I would love to sit and read the whole thing, especially hearing that like his approach to the story as it like grew and got more steam and he became more comfortable with the story is that like the character himself changed over time. Like when it was first starting, it was more in the like pair. It was more of like a parody, like a straight parody of, Conan the Barbarian, uh, and but it grew from that concept, and it took on like its own life, and and Dave Sim put like a, a whole lot more vision into it, and it really became like its own its own thing. That it sounds like it would stand the test of time. This you know this enduring storyline that was done by you know this one guy, these two guys over over years. Uh, it's yeah. just, it, it, I would love to be able to like sit down and, and read the whole thing, but yeah, it's like, there's there, nowhere is it, is it collected at least not anywhere that would, that would be easy. Like you were mentioning the phone books, there were like two large omnibuses, but like you can hardly even find them. And every now and then, if you find one or two of them on, on Amazon, they're going for like well over a hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not the easiest thing. I, uh, I've got some like the the collections that when they were originally collected, they're like newsprint stuff or whatever. And I've got like one through. There's a lot. There's 300 issues, so I got like one through 11. I don't know how high they go up. There's probably like 15 or 16 of them. I've read a, a little bit, not nowhere near uh, half or anything, but I've I've read some, and uh, and I've enjoyed it. And actually. When I, when I spoke with Gerhard, I was he was super nice. Him and his wife were there, and I I had like a good twenty minute conversation with them. And after I picked up my sketch, they're like, "Hey, did you? Did we ask you the question. Did you finish the series? Did you read it all?" And I'm like, "No, I haven't made it all, through all of it." And then she looks over at him at Gerhard, and he's, she's like, "Hey, can we?" And he's like, "Yeah, for Kurt, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, sure." And she, she says, "Okay, well, when you do read it, when you do finish it, you you will have earned this then." And she gave me like a little, like a it was like a little merit badge thing that said, uh, like uh, all like a, like acknowledging that you read all 300 issues, and he uh, <laughs> and he signed it. So that was that was neat, like a little little memento, you know? Yeah, that's pretty cool. But yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, 300 issues, man. It's a it's a lot of stuff to it's a it's a long long time. A lot of stuff to read. A lot of story. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's a feat, you know, it's Yeah. Even nowadays you don't see 
comics, at least not by the same creative team, especially on like a creator owned yeah. book to, to go, to go that long. Like a, a, we were talking, a, well, I had brought up Usagi a little bit earlier. Um, I think even that one is only around 270 right now. Um, if you look at every, if you look at the, the issues that were put out for each volume, because even though it's, yeah. it's been published by different publishers, it's been 100% creator owned by Stan Sakai since the creation of the character. And every new volume is just a continuation of the, the previous volume. So like issue one of the Mirage series, which was volume two, was really just issue, you know, 45 of the series. Um, and then he was at Dark Horse for like 170 issues. And then he was at IDW for like another 30 issues. It hasn't been, it hasn't been rebooted or anything. It's just one continuous storyline, you know, written, drawn, uh, lettered all by the same dude, Stan Sakai. Yeah. So like even that one has been around for nearly, nearly 40 years and he's only on issue like 270, somewhere around there. So the fact that Dave Sim is like, we're going to do 300 issues and like, we're not going to take breaks or anything. Like we're just going to put it out consistently and, and get here. And then, and then we're just going to end the series. Cause like, you know, that's the, the Herculean feat here that we're going for. Uh, like the accomplishment of, of, of the, the series is just, is phenomenal. And it's like, I just wish it was more accessible to not just me, yeah. but like new fans coming into, into comics. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a, that's the, the feat, the, the long, uh, story. That's a big appeal to me. I've actually, uh, you bring up the, or we got started on it with, uh, Usagi, um, the other one that comes to mind is uh, Savage Dragon, very much the same approach. And he just, uh, Eric Larson, just started releasing uh, collections, like big oversized collections from the very beginning. I think the, the second one is on up for pre-order now. I bought the first one, big hardcover, and that was that was a fun read. I don't think I, – I had never read it before, but I really enjoyed it, and I know – I don't know about the Usagi, but the um, I think Cerebus, if I remember right, the character ages through through the time, right? So like the 300 issues, I think he ages like he has him age through it. I don't know, like maybe at a slowed pace or whatever, or but but at least he ages. In Savage Dragon, Eric Larson has the dragon age, but in real time. So even though, like, he, he's slow with the issues, right, because uh, Savage Dragon started 30 years ago with the founding of Image, so Savage Dragon is 30 years older from his beginning, um, but he doesn't put out the issues consistently. I don't. I haven't read the issues, obviously, like that, but I don't know how he deals with that in the storyline. But the uh, but the character ages. I, I, I love the idea of that because it, it gets – the characters not aging and stuff, and reading fifty years of stories or having that back that that backstory stuff, it, it kind of it messes with the uh, the logical mind of mine, <laughs> you know, like the, yeah. it, it messes <laughs> with the logic for me. So, uh, so yeah, I really that stuff really appeals to me. How does he deal with that with uh, uh, Usagi? Uh, you, you, what is it? G or Usagi? 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 Usagi yeah. <laughs> 
No, he doesn't age or anything. Uh, but most of his stories are like a one day adventure or a few days or like a week. Um, there's not really a whole lot of stories where he tells a story and, and sets up like a, like a prologue. And then on like page five, it's like three years later, like they don't really seem to do stuff like that. Um, he he kind of mm-hmm. walks around and it's like each new story is perhaps like another day. So 270 issues, maybe this has spanned 300 days, 350 days. Yeah. So you kind of get the feeling there and it's like the seasons don't change too much. Like every now and I think maybe we've seen the seasons change two or three times. So you could probably say it's been, you know, 270 issues that have taken place over two or three years. Like the story is definitely linear and he doesn't really do a whole lot of time, time jumps and, and that sort of thing because the whole story is supposed to take place over like from like 1603 to 1605 of of like real life history. The oh, the wow. one thing about Usagi is the setting of the story is feudal Japan during the emperor's peace. So in real life um when the like when the Tokugawa shogunate was set up in like like in in real life it was like 1603 something like that in Japan in feudal Japan in, in real life. And so this takes place like roughly in the, those first early years of like the Tokugawa shogunate, only it's like a fictional version of it. Uh, but it, like it's tied to real world history. So it's not like, uh, there's not like a, a sliding time scale like there is with like Marvel or DC. Um, and, and he, he's not doing these big like epic storylines that span generations and stuff. It's like the whole concept is this character is on, he's just, he's just a, a wandering Ronin. And he just kind of walks from town to town and gets embroiled in adventures in, you know, whenever he lands in certain places. Uh, so as, as far as like a, the character aging, he, he doesn't really do that. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's yeah. Everyone's got their uh, different approach, which is, which is nice as long as it's consistent. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I would hate to see, him like aging up the character for this story. And then in the very next story arc, it's like, no, but now we're back to when he was like younger again. And then we're going to go over here. And, and now we have this time scale that's going to start contradicting itself because we've shown that he's older. And at this stage in his life, he was here, but now it's like, we're telling a different story of that point in his life. And he's in a completely different place. And, uh, yeah, it's just I, I hate when they get into the contradictions and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, with with Stan's approach, it's just like, you know, the next story is the next day of, of Usagi's life. I think the longest storyline that he had done um, was like over 10 issues. It was this uh, a lot of people consider it to be the greatest Usagi story ever told. It was the storyline called Grass Cutter. Um, and that storyline itself only took place over like a week. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like he he discovers this sword that's actually like this ancient sword of legend, and he has to deliver it to this other place. And so the the whole storyline is like he's in possession of the sword, and he's walking across the Japanese countryside in order to take it to its destination. And then there are other parties involved that – are also looking for it that find it. And so he has to fight them off and, 
and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's like it, it's him walking from like one village to the next to the next. And so you don't really have to have, um, all of this, this time showing because it can take place theoretically over, over one year. Um, and yeah, I think, like I said, the, the seasons have changed maybe three or four times. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's only been a couple of years where like we've seen, Winter and then there'll be, you know, a hundred issues and then it's winter again. And then there'll be like 20 issues and then it's, it's winter again. So, um, that's what you can kind of use to, to mark the passage of time. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good series. Um, if you, especially if you like appreciate it from like the, the art standpoint of like how it's actually made. Uh, Stan Sakai has written and drawn and hand lettered every single issue of Usagi Yojimbo. Um, so it's, you know, 270 issues, not to mention, um, some smaller, like kind of one shots and things that happened before that, uh, before the actual like proper series began. And then he's also done like a few out of continuity, crossovers with um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then he's also done a few other like companion, but are like non-canon stories. There was one that he did that was called um, Senso, which means like war in Japanese, I think. Um, and it's kind of like a war of the worlds where like these aliens arrive. And so um, like all these samurai are like fighting against these aliens and everything. Um, and that one takes place like in a, tw- like 20 years in the future, but it's non, it's non canonical. So it's like one possible future of Usagi. And in that one, he's older. He's got a little bit like, he's got some facial hair kind of going on. He's a little bit more grizzled. Um, the, the way that Stan draws him, cause he's, he's 20 years older. He's got a few more lines on his face, which is pretty cool. Like it actually shows that he's, it's an older version of Usagi. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really great series. And if it, it's one that if you haven't read, I would highly recommend, even if you're not like into the whole samurai thing, um, or the whole anthropomorphic animal thing, like it's still <laughs> a really good read despite those things. Like it's a, it's a really great read. It's like, it's a Japanese history. I don't know. It's really interesting. And just his approach to the story is, is really cool. Huh? Yeah. I'll have to check that out. That sounds good. All right, so before we get too much further down this rabbit hole of uh loving Usagi and Cerberus and just uh or excuse me, Cerebus and just um 80s and 90s indie comics, um this actually isn't a bad segue into uh our our topic of discussion for the first half, which is human weapon programs um outside of of Marvel comics, right? Like yeah. Uh, so yeah, like we see a lot of these in uh in, in indie comics from from the eighties and nineties, nineties especially since um you know the biggest indie comics of the nineties were published by Image Comics um and were creator owned books that were put out by formal former Marvel artists. Uh so it stands to reason there would be a lot of Marvel influence in their own creations. Um, but did you want to kind of walk us through some of the like government programs that you were able to find outside of Marvel comics? Oh man, outside of Marvel, there's, that's practically the, 
all the image founders had it had it across their books. You had uh, uh, Super Patriot. We we mentioned I mentioned uh, Savage Dragon. You got Super Patriot with his uh, with his origin coming from a he was a World War II uh, soldier and he was experimented on in World War II. So he's probably uh, laying in bed right next to Captain America. And uh, Super Patriot went one way, Cap went the other. Uh, there you got Cyber Force, and they—I think they—it's been a while. I didn't do a whole lot of research. I, I, I went off the, the top of my head because I didn't feel like the stuff needed a whole lot of research either. Um, yeah. But uh, but Cyber Force, I think they were—they were like a government team that was experimented on with cybernetic parts. I think they might have been. I think they were actually mutants too. Yeah, I think they were. Yeah. Which, which you know, it's it's Sylvester, so you're do what you know, right? Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, and then my favorite of the bunch because I was a, I was a big Jim Lee fan, and his his whole universe was it was like the government is bad people, and it was uh, Team Seven. So you had like a Team Seven, which was all of all of his big characters. Like they they all were originated in Team Seven. You had uh, Deathblow, you had Grifter came from Team Seven. You had uh, Backlash, and they were all ex- there was. If I remember the story right, it was uh, they were soldiers like a like a SEAL Team Six type thing, mm-hmm. where uh, SEAL Team Seven maybe you might say, but. Uh, <laughs> they they get sent somewhere, and I think it was John was it John Lynch? I don't know. It was one of the guys from uh, from the government dropped. I think it was like a chemical bomb with the Gen Factor. So the Gen Factor uh, uh, gave these guys all special powers, and they whatever they got all special powers. Then they had kids that turned into Gen Thirteen. So like the Gen yes. Thirteen people. <laughs> were 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 exper- like they were government I don't know, I think they were like a like a like an experimental black ops type thing. I forget how that worked. You had Wetworks. Wetworks was uh was I think another government team. Uh but they those guys came from the, the Team Seven uh stuff too. It was it was all littered throughout there. How the uh uh young blood I don't remember what their origins were, but they worked. I think they were a team that was worked directly for the government, wasn't it? Um, yeah, so they're just scattered all over the place. That was like the the, the whole theme of their uh, of those beginning guys. Uh, and it goes further after that. Like um, one of the series, uh, a newer series that I really liked. The, you had. Uh, uh, Lazarus, you ever hear of Lazarus? Uh uh-uh. That that was uh, that was pretty good. That was by um, Greg Rucka did that, and that one. Oh, okay. That was like really, uh, really thought out, really thorough. Um, he created this whole whole world where where like corporations take over the take over the the world, and and they're like the new government powers or whatever, and they they each have. They each have one Lazarus, which is like their super soldier, like their their super powered 
defender or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, and like if if I don't know if the if the stuff hit the fan, like they called on that Lazarus to 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 take care of business, but it was I don't that's the same thing where it was a it was a super powered, super ramped up individual um, that uh, that worked for that governing body, you know. <laughs> yep. That's that's <laughs> the way it works. Hell, that that was the. That was uh, the story. That was Superman. That was the take on Superman with uh, in in Dark Knight, right? That he wasn't the the government. He wasn't experimented on by the government, but it was like a as close as you could get with that, right? With uh, he was the government tool, Stooge. Yeah, and uh, in the in the Flashpoint comic series too, they they did take it a step further, where in in one of the universes, or like this new continuity that the Flash created during Flashpoint, it, but it was like it, it it was Superman was taken like as a child by the government, um, you know, when his his spaceship crash landed, the government showed up and was like, hey, you know, Mister Mrs. Kent. Uh, <laughs> We're going to send you to meet your maker so that uh, you don't tell anybody about this. And then we're going to take this little baby thing and we're going to experiment on it. And so in the Flashpoint universe, even it was the government had Superman captive and, you know, had experimented on him and and maybe used his DNA to uh, further their own programs, jumpstart their. I think it it was like an evil version of like Project Cadmus even. So even though oh, okay. the, this like government weapon thing is is I think more prevalent in Marvel comics, you still see it uh, all the time, even in DC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think well, Marvel's proven that it works. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Marvel's a proof of concept. It, it works. Let's let's run with it. Yeah, people people like this uh, bad evil government stuff. Yeah, I think it works because, like, no matter what kind of country you live in, no matter what kind of government system you live in, whether it's like, uh, you know, economic system and government system, like, do you do you live in a in a democracy or a public? Do you live in like an authoritarian style place? Like, you can see that, you know, regardless of how good your government is, it's still really bad, <laughs> and it's like it's this universal thing, you know, and it's like to, regardless of what economic system you live in, like whether you have a whole lot of financial freedom or you have hardly any financial freedom at all, you can look at the powers that be and be like, yeah, the people with the money, um, they do some shady stuff. <laughs> so it's like it's yeah. this universal thing that like all across the world, we're all like, oh, yeah, governments are totally bad. And if they had the money, they would totally make super soldiers. So we just buy into it because it's it, it's realistic. It seems like the logical step for these governments to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, – yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's rampant across uh, Marvel, right? Yeah, I, I would say like so. The thing about Marvel, right, that they always say is that Marvel is is the it's the world outside your window. You know, it's 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 based in in the real world, unlike the you know distinguished competition, aka DC Comics, where you know half the heroes are aliens and the other half of them are like demigods, and then you know that well maybe not half and half because that doesn't work yeah. with the percentages, but a small percentage gets their powers from magical artifacts, and then another 
group just gets their power. They don't even have powers. They're just, they've trained themselves to physical perfection so that they can also be superheroes. So you have in DC, you have like this wide range of origins, um, all across, you know, you, you, when you look at their, the Justice League, like the, the original seven Justice League, you've got a space alien in Superman. You've got a demigod in Wonder Woman. You've got, um, some random dude who just got powers because of like a lightning bolt, you know, so you got like the weird science thing in the flash, but then you also have, um, green lantern. That's also alien, but he's not born alien. He's using like alien technology, but then you've got like Batman in there who is just a regular dude who made himself into a superhero through sheer force of will. And you, and, and, and like, that's their, those are their flagship Heroes. I, I'm forgetting Aquaman, but he's he kind of falls into the demigod thing that the Wonder Woman falls into, um, and then and then I'm also forgetting Martian Manhunter, who like Superman is also a, another alien, right? So you've got like the, the Justice League, and they've they've got this like wide range of origins, and then you look at Marvel, and it's like, all right, who are the main characters in Marvel? You've got the Fantastic Four, who got their powers because they were doing a science experiment in space and it went wrong and they be, they got radiated and they became superheroes. And then you've got Spider-Man who was attending a science expo thing and some radiation got bad and it radiated a spider and it bit him. And so now he's a superhero. And then you've got the incredible Hulk who Bruce Banner is doing the science experiment and there's some radiation and it went bad. And now he's a superhero. And then you've got like, it goes on and on. You've got daredevil who, uh, there was like toxic waste, probably from an, an evil science experiment that got in his eyeballs and turned him into daredevil. And, and it's like, at first, you know, it's just like, all right, Stanley, is like he's must be like a science nerd, right? So he's just throwing all the science stuff in there. But like as Marvel progressed, it, it was like, oh, okay, every single one of those different science experiments that that went wrong and created a superhero, all of that stuff was being done because the original Marvel superhero, and obviously he wasn't the first one, but like the the main Marvel superhero in in the Marvel universe is Captain America. Like obviously Namor and a couple of the invaders and stuff predate Captain America, but like 1941, Captain America, one of the very first superheroes in this universe, and they built in this thing where like he's he's now he's missing and he's been missing for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or however long, and the government's like, hey, we need a superhero that's a soldier that does what we tell him to do. And so we're going to fund like every possible science thing that we possibly can in order to figure out a way to recreate Captain America. And, and that's what we get in Marvel is like every single thing is based on the government trying to create another human super weapon. And, and it's like the basis for the entire Marvel universe. So yeah, it's, it's super prevalent there. Um, and like, you definitely see why the image founders went the way they went, <laughs> um, yeah. with the exception of like Todd McFarlane. And like, there's a reason why Spawn is probably the single most recognizable 
character that had ever been published by image. It's probably because of all of the different characters that were created by McFarlane and Silvestri and Lee and Liefeld and Portasio and Larson and all these guys is because it was probably the most original one. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's, there's definitely some originality there. I think it, with, uh, with that, I, I think he still he still had his government ties. I yep. was uh L, L Simmons was the was the the black ops uh soldier, wasn't he? Yeah, he was like the the government like kind of hit squad guy that the uh, like the military yeah. branch that no one knows about. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so, so yeah he still still, his... <laughs> he still had it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I don't know that there's any experimenting there or anything. I I think it was uh I think that's the extent of it. So he uh he just he he grabbed he he threw everything uh into the into the pressure cooker or whatever. He was <laughs> he t- he took all kinds of ingredients and just threw it all together, I think. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was a he, the character design for Spawn is really cool. Like it's so perfectly like 90s counterculture but also Yeah wanting a piece of the main pop culture pie, you know, like it, yeah. it just, it had all this like, Oh, he's cool. Cause he has chains on his costume. You know, like, Yeah. Uh, it's just Spider-Man, but if he had chains instead of webs um, and then like a yeah. big sweet Batman cape, like, I don't know. It was it's, like, it, it appealed. And, and yeah, <laughs> he took the, the biggest care. He took like spider. Who's the biggest back then? Spider-Man, Batman, the ghost rider slash Lobo. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you, what do you get when you mix them together? You get spawn. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. and like the, the thing with McFarlane too, and it wasn't just him, it was like Jim Lee to an extent as well, but like McFarlane, I think recognized that he wasn't the best writer. Um, and like he would bring people on to write spawn so that he could draw it, you know, like, yeah. There, he he had some ideas that he put into it, and that was really cool. And then he's like, "Yeah, we just we need some cool people to come in here and like write these stories." Uh, I feel like a lot of the other founders of Image, and, and like I'm probably completely off base, but it seems like <laughs> they tried to write too much, um, and and so it, like everything else is all the same. Like you had mentioned, like we were going through all the Image government stuff, so it was like cyber data is the the company that funded Cyberforce. And then you've got Team 7, which just worked for, um, you know, some fake acronym of the government. Yeah. Um, and then Team 7 led into uh, Gen 13, which was, and like, it was perhaps the dumbest name for, uh, for a government agency. It was, they were part of International Operations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, oh, that's <laughs> like, that's the government <laughs> branch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's like yeah. that would just be like a file in like the Secretary of State's file cabinet yeah. is like international operations. <laughs> I I think yeah you're you're right on with that because you if you look uh I think uh, Cyberforce that was written by uh, Sylvester's brother I think yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim Lee the writer for a lot of his stuff back then was. Brandon Choi, but I don't remember what his connection was. I think he was like Jim Lee's best friend or something. Right. Yeah. I think I think Liefeld wrote his own stuff. Um, 
and I don't know, man. Liefeld, his he's he, I, I I have a love hate relationship with that guy, <laughs> um, he, but uh, but yeah, he's you know he ended up. I think he 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 saw he was uh, I think. I don't know if he could voice it, but I think he can see his weaknesses. I don't know if he could say that out loud to anybody, but he uh, he had no problem. He hired some good writers at, at some times, uh, but the same same thing with uh, with McFarland. You know, like he he uh, he hired some good writers. There's a yeah yeah yeah. There's a yeah that stuff though. It's 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 runs rampant that uh, that the government that uh, Government, uh, not non-trustworthy government stuff. Yeah, uh, you know the the uh, malevolent slash clandestine stuff, yeah. and 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 it works for Marvel Comics, but like it's a it's a concept that that predates at least Wolverine. Um, you know, and it predates a lot of these these comic stories, but we've seen it in pop culture, like dating back to the '60s and '70s, even. Um, you know, after the whole like atomic age kind of came to an end, like we saw what the the six million dollar man right in the seventies. I think it was like seventy three to nineteen eighty or or something like that that it ran where with uh, with Lee Majors as Steve Austin, the astronaut who gets into this terrible accident, and so the government rebuilds him like without his permission they just think we've turned you into a a, into a bionic weapon so uh because you're alive you owe us so like go do these missions that we tell you to do Uh, and that spun off into bionic woman you know and so it's it's not like it was only a comic thing either like this is a a pretty widely used concept like we see it in uh, in robocop even in the (laughs) 80s Um, as soon as you're describing that that's just what i thought of was robocop (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like it even goes yeah. back as far as like I you know Star Trek the original series the whole character of Khan is uh the, his whole concept is that he was a member of this group of people who were like genetically altered by the government and were like you know superior race and that led to the eugenics war of the 1990s which is why he was like put in what sleep you know um cryogenic sleep and was like shot off into space in the first place where the the crew of the enterprise came across them like so even like even these concept of of like government super soldiers can date back like as far as the 1960s and i'm sure it it happened before that in in fiction and science fiction literature and stuff anyway yeah yeah you've uh yeah, all, all over the place. One of my uh, one of my favorite movies as a as a youngster was uh, Universal Soldier. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you, you see that there. Um, yeah, you brought up RoboCop, man. There's a there's there's a good uh, transition from uh, from what uh, from the Marvel stuff. I think it was uh, Frank Miller. What did he do? Write the second movie? I think. I think he wrote RoboCop too. What? Yeah. Are you serious? You know no. Yeah. That was Frank Miller. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Holy crap. I think it was. Wow. <laughs> RoboCop 2? Robo- yeah, I'm, I'm. Oh, my gosh. Dude, I had no idea. 
Yeah. That's awesome. RoboCop yeah. 2 is the in my opinion the the best of the RoboCop films. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean the the first one's so good, you know. Um but I I really liked RoboCop 2 yeah. as a kid. I never got like super into RoboCop. It was just one of those movies that like I saw it and I liked it, and then I saw part two and I liked part two more. Um, but like I didn't really get into like not like with Terminator. Like I got into Terminator like really big and like you know watched both of those movies back to back all the time. But like RoboCop yeah. was like a, a franchise that like I watched each one of them one time and was like those are really good. But then like never really yeah. jumped more into it. But I might have to revisit those, especially knowing that That's, Frank Miller yeah, wrote the I, second one. <laughs> I just, I just confirmed that. Uh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's credited with the story slash screenplay uh, wow. for RoboCop Two. But I, man, I'm almost positive he had like a a really bad experience with that. I think he had a really bad experience with Hollywood or something stemming from that. <laughs> Makes uh, sense. <laughs> if I, yeah, yeah, if I remember the story right. It's yeah. There's I, I've I I really enjoy like comics history and stuff, and I I, I really enjoy that stuff. But uh, but my my memory like I pick out like bits and pieces that I find, and it's usually just the trivial stuff that uh, that I find interesting, and then and I, I remember a bit and piece, but then I have a really hard time uh, getting that out in the words even. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, so as far as the, the government, you know, the, the super soldier working for the government, I even, like, back when I was 19, fresh out of high school, working full time, I took a year off between, like, high school and when I started college, and uh, in my spare time, I did a lot of like outlining and brainstorming of, of comics. And even one of the stories that I created in these various outlines was a World War II era superhero team that was run by the government. Um, and the title, like the, the, you know, the concept title was, uh, like my main character was definitely like a Captain America homage, as I would call it, but, really just a Captain America ripoff. Um, and I called it the soldier to end all wars. Uh, oh, I like kind it. of like a play on like the, you know, the war to end all wars or the weapon to end all wars. It was the, the soldier to end all wars. Um, so the, the whole concept here was in world war one, there was this American soldier who was taken by the Germans and exposed to all these various chemicals that altered his like human genome, but it didn't give him powers or anything like that. It was considered a failure. But when he came back after the war, he had a son. Um, and so by the time world war two broke out, his son was now this like 23 year old, soldier like a private in the military and he's he's over i don't i forget where i had him i think i had him in like the ardennes forest um during like one of those 
I'm drawing a blank now. It was like Operation, part of like Operation Market Garden. There's like a whole episode about it in Band of Brothers that takes place in this forest that's like on the on the border of like France and Belgium or something like that. I'm sure I'm getting all of this wrong because it's been a long time since I did any of this research or even watched Band of Brothers. Uh, but it was like it was kind of like a stalemate, almost like a no man's land kind of a thing that was happening. It was like right in the in the middle of winter. So it was a really terrible time for both sides to be fighting. And like um, it was just like this contested area of like 50 yards in between like the allied line and the 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 Nazis. And there was this battle that broke out and this dude, his like whole unit was killed. Um, and he survived like without a scratch on him, almost like like uh, um, unbreakable, you know, where it's like the plane oh, okay. or the, the train crash and like everybody dies and this dude doesn't even have a scratch. It was like one of those situations where he wakes up and he's in like the this government facility and they're like, what's the deal? And it turns out that he's um, he's impervious to harm. Like he can't be cut or if he like if a bullet hit him, it would the bullet like Luke Cage. Right. Like super strong, okay. unbreakable skin, that sort of thing. Um, and it turns out that like he that was what he inherited. Like his, when his father's DNA was altered and he procreated, he like he passed this on to his son, which pretty much makes him an unkillable soldier. Um, and then like it, that was like my outline. And then from there, they eventually like recruited a team with him and he went through and like, you know, stopped the war in Europe or was sent over to Japan and stopped the war in the Pacific and, and all that. Like that was my, my whole outline. But like I'm looking at my concepts that I had for comics when I was like 19 and I'm like, even I have the freaking government weapon in 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 my outlines <laughs> yeah nice it's it's an easy one right yeah it was, it's, it's really easy it was super ham-fisted too like the dude's name was like michael star you know with like two r's <laughs> in his name and, and yeah it was pretty bad it was pretty it was pretty <laughs> of bad course. i'm like man this awesome. is life Eldian level this is like fighting american all over again yeah yeah i, I love it <laughs> that's great that's great. Uh, you write what you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. I think my biggest influence was issue one of Ultimates. Um, I don't oh, know if you okay. ever got into the Ultimates universe in like an early 2000s. Um, but like issue one of Ultimates was 100% Captain America in World War Two. It didn't introduce like Iron Man or Hulk or any of them until the second issue. The first issue was like Captain America's last mission before he goes missing. Okay. And I was like, oh man, I love this concept of like a superhero in World War II. And then like I went and did my whole thing. And, and like when I look back at it now, I'm like, okay, so the idea of like genetic manipulation that is passed to your child. Like, I'm pretty sure that I just took that from like the opening sequence of Ang Lee's Hulk movie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, God, did I even have an original idea? Like the, the, not a scratch. Like clearly that was unbreakable. And like, I didn't even like that movie very much. And like all these things. And I look back at it now, like, yep, this was pretty much all just ripped from movies that I had watched. (laughs) And, and Captain America. Awesome. <laughs> nice. 
Nice. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, like anything else, when you when you remove it from uh, like uh, you remove the time or whatever, you remove it from that time. Now it seems like an original idea. <laughs> <laughs> if if somebody else was paying attention and wanted to put that much thought into it, they could they could put together the uh, the influences. But good luck with it now, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a little too common now. I think people like they look for those sort of connections now. So uh, I think that's probably why everything just gets rebooted in Hollywood now. Because any original idea, anyone's just going to look at it and be like, "Yeah, that's just taken from this, and that's taken from that, and this is taken from over there." So yeah. all these people are like, "Eh, I'm not going to make anything new. I'll just reboot the thing that I like and whatever." <laughs> yeah, right. Oh well. Yeah, it was fun. I had like a I had like an Iron Man character that was actually uh it was like a bulldozer. Like he had built his suit um because he he lived in like the dust bowl. Uh and he oh. found that uh he he couldn't like plant stuff and get stuff to grow and all that and so he developed this like wearable bulldozer suit thing that would help him like till the land deep enough to plant the Yeah, it was really dumb. Um, but like, that was my Iron Man character. I actually had a, uh, a telekinetic dude who was actually a pitcher in like the Negro leagues of baseball. Like he played for like the Crawfords or maybe it was the Monarchs, like Kansas city Monarchs. Yeah. It was pretty much like Satchel Paige, but he had telekinesis. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so like he was, and, and then I had like a speedster and like, that was pretty much the team I had. Like I had a Captain America an Iron Man, and then I had a flash and like a Jean Grey. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, no, that's every, every team. They're, they're all just, uh, like a spin on that concept or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's like, there's a reason why, uh, we see that it's why it's so prevalent in, in comics. It's funny though because most non like most non DC things they all have their version of like of the Justice League like the boys um Marvel has Squadron Supreme um Chris Claremont created the Sovereign 7 which ironically yeah. was like an imprint in DC comics anyway um and but like we're starting to see, I think a, a larger prevalence of like Marvel derivatives now. Um, we certainly got our fair share in the nineties with with Image, but I feel like nowadays in with comics is like we're starting to see like a lot more Marvel derivatives popping up rather than like Justice League copies. So that's that's interesting, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I never thought of it like that, but I guess yeah, you're right. We we see. I guess I just kind of take taking that for granted. It's a there's a lot of a lot of Marvel knockoffs, more or less mm-hmm. these days. Yeah. yeah, I think we saw a lot too in um, in Valiant Comics when they relaunched back in like 2012. Like obviously, Exo Manowar is their is their um, like flagship character, and he's kind of an amalgam of uh, of Superman and, and Iron Man. Um, but like the Bloodshot kind of shooting up to be like one of their top three guys. Um, and bloodshot is very much like a Wolverine punisher, captain America, like mixed together. Um, 
especially like the Wolverine aspect, like a lot of the ones that we've talked about are like government sponsored weapons and all that. But we've we've most of them, they don't have like the same malevolence as as Weapon X, where like they're actively messing with your mind and actively messing with your life in order to kind of keep you as like this mindless um, killing machine. Uh, but we see that a lot of that in Bloodshot as well, where there's like the memory implants and and yeah. all of that. So it's like they're definitely getting more of the Wolverine side of the government program versus like the Captain America side of the like Captain America is like the the exception. Like Captain America is the the success story, um, and then Wolverine <laughs> yeah. and Weapon X is like this is what happens. Like this is what happens when when bad things like when it goes bad. Um, so, yeah, we're starting to see, I think, more of more of that side, like with Bloodshot, for example. I think the uh, the Wolverine stuff works. I, I, that's the the best program, I think, because it's like so. <laughs> the Weapon X program is so hands on, and they're so like maybe it's because they mess with the mind. Like they're so evil. Like I, uh, I think it's like the 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 best the best. Bad government involvement storyline, I think maybe for that reason. Like it just, uh, they never stop experimenting, and they're they're just like, I don't know. Maybe it's just the, the most fleshed out because of Wolverine or something. But uh, it's the one that for me, it's the one that works the best. I think. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I suppose that's that's correct. Um, it was probably the. the from the government point of view, it was probably the most successful, you know, until the, until it wasn't. Um, yeah. But like, they got a lot more out of it. Like Captain America, they got what, two years, you know, they got world war two and then he disappeared. And then when he came back, he's like, no, nah, I'm my own dude. I'm, I have freedom and all that. Whereas like yeah. with Wolverine, with, with team X, uh, they were able to keep them enthralled for like 20 years. Um, yeah. yeah. Based on, based on the kind of car that Logan was driving when he was taken, and based on the various missions that he that he goes through, it's like they the Weapon X program had possession of of Logan for like at least ten fifteen years. Like he was driving a car um, that was like pre World War Two era, and then they take him from that bar, and then they have him doing stuff through World War Two. They have him doing stuff like into the Korean War into all the stuff that goes down with Cuba, like at least through the mid sixties. So they, they, they've had them for like most of the fifties, at least half of the sixties, probably large portions of the forties as well. Um, so, so yeah, I think from like a government point of view, it was the most successful because they had like over a decade of sustained success. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. They're definitely the most evil of uh, of the different yeah. government programs that we've seen. Um, the the most evil the um I the, that's like that's the one that I maybe it's just because they put like a name to it or whatever. That's the one that you know. Like the, I don't do we know the the Captain America? Well, I guess I don't know what is it the Super Soldier Program? Yeah, Pro, I think it was Project Rebirth. Okay. It was like the, it was the actual name of like, you know, 
eventually you find out that like weapon X is actually weapon 10, right? And it's just the next yeah. in line. And, uh, it, it turns out that like Captain America was weapon one. Um, and yeah, yeah. And, you know, the super soldier program is like what it was like ostensibly the name of it, but really it was project rebirth was like the top secret name. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's all, uh, I guess everything is just like retro, um, uh, retcons, right? Yeah. All that exactly. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah. even like Luke Cage, uh, like his, the experiment that gave him his powers was like one of the weapon programs of Weapon Plus and, and all that as well. Um, so yeah, there's, yeah, there's tons of retcons, like Deadpool. Yeah, uh, there's like one. There's one of them was like an animal. <laughs> there was like an animal that they had done experimentation on. Um, huh. And like I, I think even like the one of the mo the more recent ones that like postdates Wolverine is like the Agent Venom stuff. Like technically that was one of like the Super Soldier programs as well because they had giving oh. the uh, the symbiote to Eddie Brock um, and creating Agent Venom. Like that was part of. Uh, one of the programs that stems from Project Rebirth, even. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Nice. Well, now that we're kind of talking Weapon X, I'm I'm kind of itching to get into into the episode now. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Cool. So yeah, let's uh let's do it. Let's jump into our episode. So we're actually going to do something a little different today. Usually when I have a guest that I'm not in the same room with, we usually just do an episode breakdown where we go scene by scene. Uh but today Kurt and I are going to try to do a a virtual watch together um and provide live commentary. Um so it's uh it's a bit of an experimentation. We'll see how it goes. So for today's episode, we are covering X-Men the Animated Series, Season 4, Episode 16, Weapon X, Lies, and Videotape. So this episode originally aired June 11th, 1995. It was written by David McDermott and Stephen Melching. Story edits from Eric Leewald and directing by Larry Houston. So, Kurt, what we'll do is uh, I usually do a countdown. I'll do three, two, one, go, and we'll both hit play as I say go. Okay, sounds good. All right, perfect. So here we go. Three, two, one, go. So far, Kurt, I've only done the live commentary with my sons. Um, yeah, but I like to ask, like in this opening sequence, which is like your favorite character moment here? Because they each get like what three seconds, five seconds, something like that. Which one do you think is the like most representative of the character? Uh, my f my favorite. I don't know if it's the most representative, but I like the uh, the Cyclops one. Yeah, like just shooting his optic blast up into the sky. Yeah, That's awesome. That one's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I think that one's really cool. I like the Beast yeah, one too, where he's uh, he's got his glasses on, he's reading a book, and then he just like, was... puts the book down and jumps at the screen. 
The Cyclops is my favorite. That's, I think, the most representative. I think you had two questions, and it confused me for a second on what's the answer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're watching here. Uh, Wolverine gets tossed across the room, and he's fighting with – with Sabretooth hair. Dude, this is I, I pulled it up. Um this is like the f- opening scene in Wolverine number fifty. I talked to you about this. The Wolverine Sabretooth, Jeff Loeb and S- by Simone Bianche. I have a hardcover. Mm-hmm. I I opened up my book, man. This is what happens. The Jeff Loeb watched this cartoon and and took inspiration <laughs> except like in in this book like silver fox what happens with like it's it's not age appropriate <laughs> yeah but yeah. uh and that's the, the happy birthday he leaves happy birthday to wolverine on this on the wall do you remember that yeah yep yeah and it was yeah. like a, a retelling of it's like wolverine volume two issue 10 i think which was the the first concept of the the saber tooth at the birthday thing where where saber tooth would hunt wolverine down every year on his birthday just to mess with him and like remind him like oh by the way i killed silver fox haha like yeah that was the the first issue that that like covered that idea it's worth pointing out too in in that opening sequence where saber tooth is in there and like silver fox is in there Notice how Sabretooth was wearing regular clothes like Logan. Like he had like the red, like lumberjack, you know, flannel button down shirt. Because later on in this episode, we're going to have another flashback to that moment that Wolverine remembers. Sabretooth is wearing his Sabretooth costume. Yeah. And... That goes in line with the uh, with this story. On the on the in the cartoon right now, we're watching. They they Gene pulls out some uh, some pictures, and that's where she gets the the coordinates on the back of uh, somebody sent Wolverine a picture of him and uh, Silver Fox, and on the back were coordinates. I looked up those coordinates, and from what Google tells me, that's not Canada. That's like Asia. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if Google was around when this when this show was made, but he just made up some numbers there. <laughs> this this part. Well, so Wolverine walks into into Weapon X with a broken tube and stuff, and I'm sure it's been shown all over the place. But, but man, that was like taken like Jeff Loeb and Simone. They they took that for this series. I see a lot of parallels with this series. I'm I am gonna like try to find Jeff Loeb on a, on, on a convention I go to, and I'm going to, I'm going to grill him about this like 20 year old series <laughs> and, and ask him where his mind was. If he was just watching the cartoon, because I think it's heavily influenced here. Well, I'm, th- this episode in and of itself is like an excellent adaptation of uh, the, the Shiva scenario storyline from Wolverine volume two, that takes place between like issues 48 and 50. Like it's other than the fact that it's beast in the cartoon instead of Jubilee, it's pretty like, it's a pretty decent adaptation. Like all the stuff that was like somewhat kid friendly 
they ripped it directly out and put it into this episode. And since the since the Jeff Loeb run was kind of retconning a lot of the Weapon X stuff to put like Romulus in charge, um, like obviously he he had to go back through like all of the Weapon X stuff from like Larry Hama's run of of Wolverine Volume Two, since that's where most of this was established. So I like this scene right here where Wolverine picks up like the Weapon X helmet because I remember talking about like the Wolverine cowl uh, and that they're finally doing that as a Lego set. And you mentioned like the Magneto helmet. And I think it was Quinn in the discord had mentioned like the weapon X helmet would be cool. And like, I wholeheartedly agree like a weapon X helmet with like, especially with like the cords and stuff coming out. Like that would be so cool. I love that. I yeah, I would love to build that. that and it, I think it's it's so blocky and stuff. It would fit uh, a Lego build nicely. Yeah, exactly. Right, it's all those square pieces coming off and and yeah, crevices and valleys and stuff in the helmet. Like that, yeah, that would be a fun helmet to build for sure. That'd be cool. This uh, so yeah, we just we just went by the scene where where he has the flashback due to the helmet where he's running through, it's a really tamed down version, I think of the original weapon X story, uh, um, by Barry Windsor Smith, where he's running out and he's slicing up all the scientists and soldiers and stuff. But in the cartoon show, it's dialed down. So he's just slicing up dummies and stuff. Um, (laughs) but like I, I, I re I reread that like last year, but that, the, the series is really good, and it uh, and this it just hit me like wow, they they look just like it. I thought, yeah, yeah, really, really good job of uh, like translating that to a child friendly version. Okay, so here's the yeah. the the um, the flashback that I was talking about, where it's the same one from the beginning of the episode, where Wolverine and Silver Fox return home. And they go into the cabin and Sabretooth is there, only he's wearing his Sabretooth suit. So, uh, and, and I think I have a question that we can address at the end of the episode because there's something that Wolverine and Silver Fox, a little um, exchange that they have at the end of this episode. So I, I wanted yeah. to pose a question to you. Okay. Uh, but meanwhile, like he, so he has this flashback and Sabretooth is there and then he kind of comes out of the flashback and Sabretooth is here. And while they're battling, they're, they're kind of saying to each other, like, why did you bring me here? Um, and they, and then they have another flashback. And I love this one too, cause we get like Team X finally. And I remember having yeah. this Wolverine action figure in this suit, like the spy Wolverine. And I always wondered like where that came from. And like, we're finally seeing it in this, uh, in this episode finally here. Yeah, it's cool. I like the, the size difference. They really, they really do a good job of showing how small Wolverine is and how like large and imposing Sabretooth is. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's something that they really need to bring into the live action movies when we finally get X Men in the MCU. Like, I want like Daniel Radcliffe as Wolverine, <laughs> and like yeah. an Alexander Skarsgård as like Sabretooth, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> give me a dude that's like yeah. five foot three in real life because that's how tall Wolverine is 
in the car in the comics, and then give me some dude who's like six foot five or bigger. Like give yeah. give me like a give me uh, what's his name? Um, who's the guy that played Tyler Maine? Like give me Tyler Maine oh, again. Yeah. I'll I'll take that even. Uh, but give yeah. me like a six foot seven wrestler and like and Daniel Radcliffe. Like that's what I want to see. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be fun for sure. I love this too. Like we're getting uh, Silver Fox and Maverick. Like I don't like. I'm a big Maverick fan. I think Maverick's such a oh. cool character. Um, so I like that we're actually getting him um, in this episode. It's not just like Morph turning into Maverick for uh, like a cameo. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. They they come back and we find out that uh, that it was Silver Fox that that brought Wolverine. To this, with that with that picture, she was looking to jog his memory to get him back to this uh, to this part to this the I don't know Weapon X, right? Yeah, I love that line right there that, that Wolverine just said. So they walk into this like warehouse room, and there's all these movie sets, uh, what appear to be like movie sets, and uh, <laughs> Wolverine looks around <laughs> and he's like, "What is this, Hoser Hollywood?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like my my buddy Rob from uh, Turtles Forever would appreciate the the hoser line. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like this. The we we we're seeing him uh, Wolverine getting captured at Dan's diner. That's uh, I remember that from the Weapon X series too. Like that's that's a direct uh, like a lift from there or callback, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I love his his uh berserker rage we're we're seeing now. He uh he goes crazy a lot. Yes. Yeah, he really does. I really like this sequence with with Sabretooth as well because I don't think in the comics we had really seen Sabretooth's origin yet. Like, I feel like we didn't get that until, like, the early 2000s, where we got, like, the Sabretooth miniseries, where we see that he was, like, kept in his basement, and, like, his dad would consistently, like, rip out his canine teeth and everything. Yeah. Um, like, I feel like maybe this was, like, prophetic, right, in, like, predicting Sabretooth's actual origin. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they did throw that into the Larry Hama run, because I know that Sabretooth appears quite quite frequently in volume two, like once Larry Hama took over the writing and maybe they, they had put that in there, but like, I feel like it wasn't at least fleshed out until that like Sabretooth miniseries from like the early two thousands. Yeah. I don't, uh, I'm not that familiar with that stuff with, uh, with his origin or anything. It seemed logical in the, in the show. And we, we know that uh, we see, we just saw like we're all four of these guys, all four of these uh, Team X guys needed to uh, their DNA or whatever their their handprints to to open up this door and all their uniforms. I love how Wolverine is the one like I don't know he can't get a helmet over that uh, over that hair of his right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> maybe maybe it's because he's got an adamantium skull. He doesn't need the helmet, right? Maybe yeah, that's pro- it. Yeah, that's probably I it. I didn't think it through all the way. <laughs> <laughs> I like that we're seeing oh. these are all time stamped to like November of 1973. Yeah. All these videos here. Yeah. I love that uh, that he pulls out the tapes too. I missed the one one part we were talking. Uh, Sabretooth pulls off his glove to do the handprint, and he, he pulls off his glove to reveal his his bare what I'm guessing is his bare hand, which is the color of the rest of his suit. So it makes me think Uh-oh. that dark <laughs> that dark red thing that's his glove that's his glove covering up his skin. So like. That like that that orangish hue or whatever. That's his skin, <laughs> and, and he like the red chest plate thing that goes down like from the top of his chest to his crotch. I don't know what that is. What that's just like a like a like a pasty. So that's his costume is like a a really revealing wrestling singlet, and then the rest <laughs> of it is just his skin, and that means that he doesn't have a butt crack. <laughs> exactly. He pulls the glove off, and that's 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 what's underneath the glove. If oh man, I don't know. I don't know what there's. I don't know that I'm left to believe anything else. Oh, actually, maybe I'm ahead. Here it is. Here it comes up. Sorry. Watch. All right. So uh, that was a little foreshadowing for me. Um, Tell me what you take from this. Yes, yeah, for sure. I will. Um, one thing I want to point out too was, uh, so while when Beast, oh, yep, there he goes. He takes off the glove and his, yeah, what the heck? Oh no. I'll never, I'm never going to be able to look at Sabretooth the same way now. What is going on? I don't know, man. So like, and, but his face is, is like, it's not the light orange. It's like regular skin color. So it's like, does he put makeup on his, face so that his face looks lighter so that people don't realize that he's just running around naked like, what's the deal here maybe i don't know oh no oh it's strange oh no i have to say though when so when they're doing the tapes they, they mention that uh, wolverine and Sabretooth specifically have regenerative capabilities and the professor professor thornton he name drops oyama He's like, you know, this is coming from the adamantium bonding process that uh, Dr. Oyama developed, which which yeah. I like because, you know, one, it harkens back to the at the two episodes with Lady Deathstrike that Brett came on for. Uh, yeah. But it also harkens back to the fact that, you know, Professor Oyama, Dr. Oyama, Mr. Oyama, whoever it is, uh, Lord Darkwind, like it harkens back to the Daredevil issues where he was first introduced. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, man. The 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 cartoon series here, they do their homework, right? Yes. So one thing I have to say though, they got the name of this thing wrong. Like in the comics, this thing was called Shiva. It was from the Shiva scenario. For whatever reason, they changed the name in the show to Talos, and okay. I'm pretty sure that's because all of the writers of this show were like unabashed Star Trek fans. And like Talos has to do, if if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I've watched the original series of Star Trek, the one from the 60s. But 
it, it has to deal with um, like Captain Pike, who was Kirk's predecessor as captain of the Enterprise. And he had this mission to a planet that he's not supposed like it was part of their directive that they were not allowed to go to Talos four. And the reason is because there's a race of aliens who will like implant you with false memories as they like take you captive. And eventually there's this whole story arc where Spock is taking Pike back to that planet because in real life, Pike is now like paralyzed and he's in this, this suit thing. He can't move or, or walk or anything. And so Spock is trying to take Pike back there so that they can implant him with like, um, like hallucinations that he can walk and, and all that again so that he can spend the rest of his life um, like having his mind messed around with by those aliens. And I feel like that's a callback because Weapon X is all about like false memories and memory implants, right? And so I think they took that name from that episode. Yeah, that would make sense. That that sounds uh... – yeah, that sounds like it would, would they would have that influence there. Yeah. Did you ever were you ever a Star Trek fan? No. No, never a Star Trek fan. Um, nice. Okay. Yeah, I was a, a big Star Wars fan and for whatever reason like it was ingrained in me. You like one or the other and that was it. <laughs> yeah, it was like uh Cubs and White Sox, you got to pick one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I thought of as soon as I said that it hit me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Coke and Pepsi, I, Star Trek or Star Wars, Cubs or White yes. Sox, like it's one or the other. <laughs> yeah. I I like Beast uh loads up this we're in this super high tech thing and he's he loads up the, the steak body truck with uh with, <laughs> with all of his his fallen uh friends and uh to, to drive out of this place because it's obviously it's gonna self destruct, right? Sure. I mean, I'm pretty sure that all government buildings self-destruct after five seconds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like how they all come to just in time. Like as soon as the door closes, they're all like, what happened? Like they all wake up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They all wake up. He shakes hands with a uh, maverick, tries to, to make a last ditch effort to, to go home with a uh, silver fox. She shoots him down, <laughs> and and meanwhile, like he's he's just like looking at her lovey dovey, and and Sabretooth is just like, all right, peace out, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that they gave Maverick an accent, although it didn't really sound like a German accent to me. Um, but I like yeah. that they gave him one because in the comics, he's he's allegedly German. Yeah. Oh, and I have to point out too on uh, on Silver Fox's little like hovercraft, it's not clear, um, but you do see the Hydra symbol. Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't notice. Yeah, huh. it's it's not clear. It's like it's like very kind of fuzzy or or blurry type thing. Um, but like in the comics at this time, she was part of Hydra. She was like not Madam Hydra, but like really high up. Oh, okay. So that I like that they were able to to throw that in here, and then uh, Logan and Beast have a moment where Logan is explaining, like, you know, I was trying to tell Silver Fox that in the memories that we have, 
the memories I have with her in the cabin, I scratched, you know, Logan, you know, plus Silver Fox and a heart on the door. He's like, but the door of the cabin on the movie set, it didn't have that scratched in there. So that has to be a real memory. And that's why I was asking why we see the Silver Fox and Sabretooth thing twice. And in one of them, Sabretooth is wearing regular clothes, but in a different one, he's wearing his Sabretooth uniform. And in the Sabretooth uniform one, it says, you know, Logan and Silver Fox, it's scratched into the door. So, so my question for you then, like, do you think Logan's right? Is the, the one, the memory that he has with the, the scratching of the door, is that a real memory? Well, right there at the end, we saw that it was scratched into the tree, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what it, what's the, the memory, I guess, is that it weren't, did, he didn't just scratch it. I didn't miss a scene where he scratched it into the tree right there, right? No. The way, the way I took it was that, like, he, his memories are just like a big jumble and, uh, and like, he scratched it into the tree, but somehow he remembers that being scratched into the door. Yeah. Yeah. It's, which is kind of like a downer like, because the, the end, it was like almost a somewhat happy ending because it was like, all right, cool. So Wolverine at least has like, you know, one real happy memory with Silver yeah. Fox. But then they show that and it's like, oh, no, what is that real happy memory? Not really real. Um, and it harkens back in this to the line that Beast has in this episode, uh, where he court where he quotes um, Alfred Lord Tennyson, which is yeah. uh, dang it, I didn't write it down, um, but it's like the the bitterest of the I'm not even gonna, it's like I'm just gonna paraphrase it where it's like the worst yeah. lie is built on half truths, right? Yes, yeah. Or the most effective lie is built on half a truth or something like that. Yeah. I'm, something I have to along paraphrase those lines. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought that was, uh, yeah, that was good. And it, it, it all fits together then with, with like that last scene, because like you said, it's, you, you have, uh, Wolverine makes a good case for it and, uh, and you want him to be happy or whatever, right? You like the character and, yeah. but then I think you, you see that tree and it's like, wait a second, like what? Yeah, this poor guy. He's never going to be whole. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, it's uh, it sucks. <laughs> it's, yeah. It sucks, yeah. man. Like, yeah, it really sucks. Um, you know, it's it, one of the reasons why I think Wolverine is such a compelling character too, because there always is that that one bit of mystery with him, where it's like, what of these memories are real? Um, and, and what are fake. And I know that they kind of addressed it in the comics during like the Wolverine origins run where he did recover like all of his legitimate memories. Um, but I like that even in that storyline, like I think it was the one that was written by Daniel way, uh, by the end of that series, there are questions again. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't remember that one but yeah it's uh wolverine has uh it, it his past his his story is just like ripe with um with this stuff it's never ending right it's perfect yeah 
Yeah, I mean that's what you need in a in a character that's designed to sell ongoing comic books <laughs> month to month is like you have to have some sort of a some sort of a mystery that you can keep going back and like resetting <laughs> when, when you need yeah. to. Um, yeah, I guess. it just makes me feel right. bad for him. I was like, oh man, like all oh, these these memories that like aren't real, and it sucks. <laughs> yeah, yep. He's never never gonna find peace, man. Yeah. So I don't know where you come down on this episode, Kurt, but I I have to say this is probably one of my most favorite episodes in the series. Like it it probably cracks its way into the top five episodes. Um, I don't off the top of my head, my top five is probably like Nightcrawler and Cold Comfort and Repo Man and this episode and maybe Come the Apocalypse, the one with like Archangel and the Four Horsemen from season one. Um, okay. So we'll we'll see. Um, you know what other episodes kind of crack that list? That's kind of like off the top of my head, like on the fly. Uh, but yeah, I would say this episode is like one of the best episodes of the series. Where do you come down on this episode? I so far of the of the stuff that I've like rewatched, the stuff that I remember and everything. I think this is my favorite one. Um, I like this one, and I let it, I actually let it play through to to the next episode, and I'm really enjoying the next episode too. So this one <laughs> might have a run for its money. I am a sucker for a good Christmas story, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this was this was a really good episode. This is definitely one of the best. I think this is, uh, yeah, it's, I would, uh, if anyone's going to rewatch something or, or um, dip their toe into watching this, I'd, I'd definitely direct them to this one. Like, yeah, you could start here. If you're interested, then maybe go back or whatever. Like, this, this is a good one to watch. Yeah, no, I, I never really thought, like, you know, taking an episode, like, out of context. Like, if you're going to start the series, you just start with Night of the Sentinels. But I can see this one being used to, like, demonstrate a full swath of emotions um, as well as like action, you know, and it, and it doesn't inundate you with too many characters that are main characters, right? Like we, we get Silver Fox and we get Sabretooth and we get, uh, Maverick and you get Thornton and you get the uh, Talos, aka Shiva. Um, but it's all like most of these are one-off characters and it's a one-off story, but it shows that like this is a cartoon that's going to give you a lot of action. It's going to give you really great characters. Uh, but like it will play with like emotional and psychological and even philosophical issues. So yeah, I can see this being like an episode. If you have a friend that's like, Hey, should I watch this series? Like give me an episode to watch and I'll, I'll decide if I want to keep watching. Like, yeah, I'd throw yeah. in this episode and be like, this is pretty indicative of like the highest of highs that you're going to get with this show. And if you like yeah. this episode, then like it's worth watching the show. Because they they do this sort of thing a lot, especially with the character of Wolverine. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. It's a it's a fun episode to watch. Yeah, watching this, I want to watch a lot. I want to watch more. But I feel like I say that after everyone. So. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. It's like wh- whenever yeah. I have my sister on, that happens to her. I'm like, hey, Ariana, I need you to watch this episode. And then I ask her, like, how was it? She's like, well, I ended up watching like five episodes because I put it on and I loved it. <laughs> and then I just I just kept watching like the next three, four, five episodes. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Yeah, that could happen for sure. I I totally understand that, and I've like I've had to over the two years or so that I've been doing Snicktoons now, I've had to refrain from just and like from just binging the series. It's uh it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard uh-huh. to just watch one or two episodes and then just not keep watching. Um, so I've had to to make do where like I'll watch this and then I'm like, man, I really I really need to watch more X Men, and like I'll have to throw in like X Men Evolution. Or like X two, you know, like X Men United, yeah. like one of those, yeah. one of the movies or something to like scratch that itch because I watch one episode and it's like I just want it. They're like Pringles, like I just want more. <laughs> like I cannot stop. Like I've once you pop, you can't stop. Like that's, once you that's watch so one funny. episode, you, you you can't stop. And like I've forced myself, like all right, like don't watch the next one until next week, and then don't like don't just binge the whole show. <laughs> Because uh, yeah. you'll end up doing that every other week because I'm I'm watching yeah. new episodes like every week, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. I uh, after listening to the last episode, I really the you know what I really want to watch is that uh uh I don't even remember what it is um the show that's got uh Polaris in it. What was that show? Uh, the Gifted. The Gifted. I gotta watch that. That sounds interesting. It's. It's pretty good. Um, I, I kind of undersold it to Brett a little bit because um, I know that he watches a lot of stuff and uh, he watches a lot of like really highly critically acclaimed <laughs> movies and shows. Yeah. So The Gifted is not one of those things. Um, it's not like yeah. critically acclaimed. It's not, you know, highly rated. Even by fans, it had like, you know, it was middling <laughs> reviews. Yeah. Um, and like, and, and I'm pretty much like an X-Men apologist when it comes to the live action movies too, where everyone's like, some of these are good. Some of these are really bad. And I'm like, all of these are excellent movies. I don't know what you're talking about. So like I, my, uh, my recommendation of the gifted, I think you have to take with a grain of salt, but like, it's, it's just good. <laughs> like it, it, if you like X-Men conceptually, right? Like if you like the concept of mutants, if you like the concept of a team of heroes, uh, fighting to protect a world that hates and fears them. And if you like the concept of mutants being hated and shunned and hunted, then the gifted is going to scratch that itch. Like the gifted is, is going to be the show that like makes you think like, Oh yeah, this is actually really like on a conceptual level. This is actually really good. Like there's, there's no X-Men in it. There's in fact, they actually mention the fact that the X-Men are missing and that the brotherhood are missing. So this is a world where the X-Men are gone, but mutants are still struggling every day just to survive. And if conceptually you can get behind that, you'll like this series. Like the acting is fine. The special effects are fine. Um, but there's enough of it that it like it brings you in. And like, it, I don't know, it, it explores some aspects of X-Men comics that are always present, but never really at the forefront, like the idea of the Morlocks, for example, or the inner workings of the Hellfire Club outside of the inner circle. Um, and even like the main villain in season one is Rory Campbell, 
which is a name that probably isn't going to make too many people go, oh, my gosh, that guy. But uh-huh. Rory Campbell in the comic books is Ahab. Uh, and he oh, okay. was the guy that ran the Hound program that Phoenix, Rachel Summers, was part of. And in in season one of The Gifted, he is like a – a government guy. Uh, he works for like a government subsidiary um, that like controls a company called Trask Industries. And he like kickstarts the hound program. So like you're getting all these really cool and interesting callbacks that aren't necessarily like straight adaptations. It's really, it's, it's really cool. Like if, and it's not a very long series. It was like season one is 13 episodes. Season two is 16 episodes. It ends on a cliffhanger. It didn't get uh, renewed for a third season. Yeah. Uh, but like Blink's in there. I know that you're a Blink fan. Like she's oh, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, Polaris, Thunderbird. Uh, and, and, and when you get into season two, you get further into like the Hellfire Club, but you also get the Morlocks. Like the Morlocks kind of show up as like possible allies for this mutant underground. And um, there's like some deep cuts, man. Like there's some deep cut references and stuff. I don't know. I, I like it, but it's not necessarily for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it sounds good. I'll, have, I'll definitely be checking that out. Yeah, they do. They do a really good job with Lorna um, and like digging into her character and like her story arc over the two seasons is really cool. Um, and like I'm a big Polaris fan anyway because of Peter David's X Factor run. Um, yeah. So like I so I was in this like oh man like I love this show just because Polaris is in here just because Lorna's in here. But like there was enough nods and stuff and like enough mutant stuff that as an x-men fan i was like oh yeah i dig this i dig this a lot (laughs) yeah that's cool yeah definitely be checking that out cool well i i don't have much else to say um and it kind of sounds like maybe we're we're at the end of our conversation so um i think we can probably call it here kurt is there anything you want to plug no, I got uh no, I've got nothing. <laughs> uh just a like usual the Discord. I enjoy that. I enjoy interacting with everybody there. Yeah, I think I think we're up to like 18 members now. So we're almost to uh we're almost to the point where I can I can actually say that we have tens of members. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We're nice. almost there. Yeah, it's fun, man. Like yeah. I I enjoy the Discord. It it's not like this massive thing where like if you don't log in for five days that you've missed all these great conversations, like, nah, we kind of just have them at will, you know, like someone will post yeah. something and, and we'll have a quick little conversation about it. But yeah, it's a fun place to share photos of your collection um, or, or, you know, speculate or talk about Legos <laughs> is, is a big one uh, that we, that we seem yeah. to talk about quite a bit in there, but yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun when yeah, a conversation cool. gets, gets started up. Yeah. It's, there's, some good interaction, uh, you know, a, a small community and everyone's friendly. Like no one sucks. Like that's, I think that's a big one um, yeah. is because it's like small uh, that everyone's cool. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. No, uh, no announcements for, for any uh, upcoming projects or anything. I don't, you're not quite ready for that yet. <sighs> Nothing yet. I have to, <laughs> yeah, I have to work something out. We'll, yeah, we'll talk. 
<laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right, man. Well, uh, I think that's All it right. then. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, we had a good good conversation, and yeah, it was fun to do the the live commentary. Kind of a fun change of pace. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I had a great time. That, yeah, that was fun. It was a good. Yeah, like you said, good change of pace. Nice. All right, Kurt. Well, that's it, man. Thanks for coming back, and uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll have you on again at some point. There's a a whole a whole another season to cover after this one, and we're we're almost to the end of this one. So I'm I'm sure you'll you'll be on for something in season five. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, dude. I uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. All right, bub. So there you have it. That is my conversation with Kurt Schmidt. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. It was fun going back through some of the older image books and and talking about other non-Marvel comics that have kind of cashed in on the, you know, government sponsored superhero thing. Um, I doubt that Weapon X was the first time that it had ever been done in comics. And I'm sure that uh, it was done in other mediums before even comic books anyway uh but it's still fun to go through because for those of us who are comic book fans the weapon x program particularly with wolverine himself is probably the biggest of all of the you know clandestine government sponsored people as weapon programs like there is captain america yeah but you know captain america was a hero and he wasn't necessarily made to be a weapon he was made to be a super soldier like a soldier first who just happens to be super powered whereas the whole thing with wolverine he was specifically made to be a weapon for the government so yeah it was fun going through there and of course doing the live commentary on weapon x lies and videotape that was a lot of fun too uh, because we were not in the same room we weren't even doing like a video podcast so we somehow managed to not talk over each other a whole heck of a lot during a live commentary where we're watching the same stuff live and probably wanting to comment on what we're seeing. And uh, I thought it went pretty well. I, I, was, I was very pleased with uh, with how that conversation went and how that breakdown uh, live commentary went. It was a lot of fun. So it's a format that if you all like, let me know if you, if you liked it. And uh, I can try to bring it in. Uh, we've got, uh, I think after this episode, there's one more episode before the like four-part season finale and what was originally supposed to be the series finale before they brought it back for like 10 more episodes and in the final season i think the first four episodes are two different two-part episodes and then everything after that is like a solo one-off show so if you like the live commentary thing uh, it's definitely something that i can look at working into that final season when we finally get to it here very soon uh, so as far as announcements go, I know I keep saying this, it's like I'm just banging the same drum over here, uh, but yeah, look for a few episodes coming out Wednesdays. Uh, hopefully my uh, my workload at my actual work is, uh, is going to be a little lighter over the next few weeks, so I should be able to uh, take some time and uh, record a couple episodes to come out these last few Wednesdays in may so so just look for those hopefully we'll get some some normal talking snicks and of course uh stay tuned every saturday for new saturday morning snicktoons until next time bub